Our scripture passage today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rulers of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what, by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. We need his spirit to give us ears to hear. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, for giving us your word, that we might see what Jesus did, hear what Jesus said, and that your spirit is at work teaching us through it. Help us now to hear, to see. May it have its full work in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of John, and here we are in John chapter 12. And Jesus is using lots of imagery, lots of uh, indirect answers to questions. It seems people keep asking him things, and he just tells them something that seems so unrelated. There's a lot of imagery happening here. Remember, uh, some of the themes in John's Gospel were light, and here... Jesus picks that up. Uh, we see this imagery here of seeds. We see all sorts of things happening here. And so we want to take some time to be careful to look through what Jesus is saying, why he's saying it. And if you remember where we're at, throughout John's gospel up until this point, Jesus has seemed to have been restrained. Right? He only came to do the will of the Father. And so throughout the account, there are these times when Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Or uh, he seems to wait for things because the Father hasn't prompted him to do them yet. And yet here we have in this passage that the hour has come. 
I mentioned last week, chapter 12 is really a turning point in this gospel, and this is why. Because the hour has come, the time for waiting has ended, Jesus is coming to do what he came to do. There's really one big theme I want us to have in mind in this passage that I think unifies these stories together, and that is this imagery of glory. Jesus talking about being uh, glorified, the Son of Man is going to be glorified, and that the Father is going to be glorified, and that even this imagery of light picks up the same image of glory. But what's very clear in Jesus' words here is that glory comes through death. We see that a couple ways. These will be kind of our points. We'll, we'll go back and forth. It's not going to be super delineated. But it's that you know, Jesus is going to be glorified through his death. The Father is going to be glorified through Jesus' death. And he tells us that we participate in God's glory by dying to ourselves. And too often is the case that we live our lives in a posture of self-preservation. Think about all the things that are going on in our world, whether it's health concerns, whether it's social unrest, whatever it is, the imagery of death is ever before us. Even before all of the current events had happened, you could turn on the news at any hour of the day and see some headline of some horrific event reminding us of the humanity, uh, the frailty of our lives, the ever-present reality of death. And so we live our lives in ways in which we preserve ourselves. Right? We live in safe places. We lock our doors. And these aren't bad things necessarily to do, but when we live our lives purely out of a posture of self-preservation, well, Jesus says that's not worth a whole lot. In fact, we're going to miss out on this imagery of glory. The hour of Jesus' glory has come. Now, if we remember at the, the last sentence in our passage from last week, uh, you know, that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and the crowds are there and they're saying Hosanna. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees are, they're just sick of it. And they say, look, the whole world has gone after him. I'm surprised then in our first verse today, that some Greeks come. Greeks meaning people who would have not been born of Israel, those who lived in the Greek-speaking world, likely Gentiles, maybe people who had uh, some affinity with the, the nation of Israel and the worship were at least curious enough to come for the feast. And this is one of the hallmarks of the New Covenant, of what Jesus is coming to do. It's, it's the thing we heard in our assurance of pardon earlier that Jesus is going to tear down the dividing wall of hostility and making himself one man from the two. And that one man will have equal access to the Father through the blood of Christ. And so these Greeks, they come, and it's like they're coming to a big, you know, event or a, or a concert or something. They want to get backstage. And they say, you know, they find, you know, the, the security guard... And they go up to Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. Can you hook us up with a backstage pass? 
We've heard what's been going on. We've come to the feast. We're not really from the people of Israel, but they, they have enough sense to understand that what Jesus is doing is important enough that they want to go see who he is. We wish to see Jesus. Jesus and An- or Philip and Andrew don't really know what to do with that. They go and tell Jesus and... Jesus doesn't really seem to respond in a way that we would expect. He doesn't say no. He doesn't go. Instead, he tells this story. He reminds them that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. They are going to see Jesus in his glory. Okay, this is, this is, it's the time where everybody will see Jesus in his glory. The hour has come. But then this emphatic, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies and remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. You see, everybody wanted to see physical Jesus. They wanted to touch his robe to be healed. They wanted to hear for themselves from his mouth. And while Jesus was here, His ability to be fruitful was limited to where he was in time and space. In fact, everything he did was just a sign of who he was and the things that were to come. And Jesus says the way to fruitfulness, the way in which he is going to bear much fruit is through death. We have some young children at our house and we have a dog and so our lawn looks terrible it's trod on underneath the playground there's no it's just dirt under the swings you might know what i'm talking about and where the dog gets to be well that's it's just all dead right and so my project this spring has been to try to get the grass to grow back so i got this big bag of seed and uh i'm not the greatest gardener So I went and just kind of threw it on the ground and, you know, raked it up a little bit and it didn't do anything. Because the seed didn't make it into the dirt and there wasn't any topsoil, okay, I understand that I'm just lazy, right? That I'm not good at this imagery of seed. But as long as those grass seeds are in the bag in my garage or just sitting on top of the dirt or washed away when I try to water it down into the yard, They aren't going to do what I want them to do. They aren't going to bear fruit. They aren't going to grow. While it remains a seed, it is essentially useless. It's just this little thing. And Jesus is saying through his death is going to come much fruit. And this imagery of the seed dying, being placed into the ground, he is speaking of himself But he's not just speaking about his own glory, not just speaking about his own death, because he continues on. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is a tremendous promise. That wherever he will be, his servants will be, and that the Father will honor him. Could you imagine being promised that 
the creator of the universe will honor you. That is what Jesus is saying here. But notice the parallel to his own death, his own fruitfulness as the one who is going to be put into the tomb. That through his death, life will come. He uses the same imagery and applies it to us. If we love our life, we'll lose it. That's that imagery of self-preservation. For most of us, we want to keep our little life seed in the bag. We want to be in the garage where it's safe. We want to stay away from the water. We certainly want to stay away from where the dog is. The imagery of death is terrifying to us. Jesus is flipping that on its head. That it's through death, his actual death, and through our death to ourselves, that life is found. True life, true glory. There's this interview with the governor of New York, Cuomo, and people are berating him about shutting down the economy and all the consequences it's going to have and people who won't be able to buy food or pay rent. And he says, it doesn't matter because death is the worst thing. You could suffer, but you aren't dead. It's an understandable position, right? Especially without any concept of glory, of what's to come. The chief end of most men is self-preservation. And yet, we confess with our confession and our catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so Jesus is taking this death, and he's showing us that through death there is glory Jesus goes on in this passage to have this prayer of, I don't know, troubled prayer. My soul is troubled. It reminds you of the prayer from the garden uh, before he's going to go and be betrayed, right? He says, let this, cup, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is crying. But he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this. This is the whole reason I came. Indeed, Jesus understood the reality of death, the pain in which he was going to suffer, all of the things that were going to take place. You can imagine even the emotional toil of being betrayed by those whom you've spent your life with, who you've invested all of your time with, let alone the lashings and the ridicule and everything else, dying through crucifixion. Jesus understands the pain of death. He's not dismissing the pain of death, but he says, for this reason, this is why I came. Father, glorify your name. I came to bring glory to the Father. And then we have this voice from heaven, and there's only really three times this happens in the story of Jesus' ministry. Said his baptism, behold, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And then in his transfiguration, behold, my beloved son. And then hear the voice. 
I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And then Jesus tells us that the voice doesn't come for his sake. Jesus didn't need to know that the father was going to do what he said he was going to do. Jesus didn't have doubts about why he had come into the world and what God's plan was through this because Jesus is eternally existent with the Father and from all eternity past had planned to do this very work. Instead, this voice is given for those who are around. This great crowd that had just cheered for him coming in thinking he's going to be this great king. Anybody that had any doubt about whether or not Jesus was from God, sent from God, well, their doubts ought to be laid aside now. The heavens have broken open and the voice of God has spoken. Jesus goes on to talk about the judgment in the world and how he's going to die. But the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Right? And we, we know that that's the imagery of him being lifted up on the cross. And I think this statement here by the Gospel writer John, right? he knows what Jesus is talking about. But I don't know that the crowd here necessarily had all that in mind. Perhaps they thought about him being lifted back up to heaven. But what was clear is that they understood that him being lifted up meant that he wasn't going to be there forever. And all of their Old Testament categories, they, they have all of these different people in mind. They have the Son of Man. They have the Christ and Messiah. They have the coming of Elijah. They have all of these different pictures, the prophet like Moses. And they're not really sure how they all fit together. Are they three different people, four different people? Are two of them talking about the same person? Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. And they ask him, who is this Son of Man? Like, what? We don't understand who the Son of Man is. I thought the Messiah was going to be here forever. Of course, we know that Jesus fulfills all of the types and shadows of the Old Testament. He is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. He is the prophet to come. But Jesus doesn't answer their question. He doesn't get their theology straightened out for them. Instead, he encourages them to do something. He says, the light, referring to himself, is among you for a little while longer. So it's true. He's not going to be around forever. The Son of Man is going to be lifted up. They understand correctly what he's saying is, I'm not going to be here forever. At least not on the way you expect. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. What's Jesus getting at? Why would he tell people this? They want to understand who he is, who the Son of Man is. What does it mean he's going to be lifted up? We thought this. You say that. Jesus says, walk in the light. Well, it's here. 
Jesus is saying the hour is now, not only for him to go and to be glorified through his death and through his resurrection and through his ascension, but that the hour is here for you to believe. Now is the chance to see Jesus. If you can't believe while he's standing before you, speaking to you, doing the signs in front of you, If you remain in darkness and don't believe, well, the darkness that's going to come when Jesus is lifted up on the cross and eventually the persecution that comes on his people, you won't believe then for sure. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. What a great promise once again. That Jesus is saying, now is the time. I am here now. Don't worry about what's going to happen later. Oftentimes, we, in our own uh, doubts and questions about who Jesus is and the Christian faith, we think we must have it all figured out in order to truly believe. And Jesus says, that's not really how it works. Think about his disciples. They didn't know anything about him. And yet they left everything and followed him. And they go on to doubt him later. They go on to betray him later. But they, once again, believe in him. Indeed, we will never have all of the answers. I have bookshelves and bookshelves in my office with way too many words for me to ever read in my lifetime. And even if I read them all, I would not have all of the answers that the Bible poses to us. Jesus doesn't call us to understand every detail of everything first and then believe. He calls us to believe while we have the light. He calls these people here to believe while he is still there, to take advantage of the opportunity that's before them, to worship the Christ who is standing there now. So they can become sons of light. Notice he doesn't tell them to go while the light is going on. Go do all the good things you need to do in the light before the darkness comes. No, he just tells them to believe, to believe in him. The rest is going to get sorted out. We are all getting sorted out day in and day out. But the call for us is to believe. Because when we believe, we become sons of light. Sons of glory. Oftentimes the reason we don't believe, the reason we refuse to believe, the reason we don't want to follow after Jesus in the way sometimes we maybe become convicted of, I know I should but I just don't want to. It's because we live in our own kingdom. We live in our own glory. We live in a posture of our own self-preservation, and Jesus calls us to die. 
the freedom we have to not make for ourselves our own glory, but instead to enter into his. Jesus is glorified through his death, through the cross, and his glory is given to those who believe in him who, this word here, hates their lives. Don't think about that as one in which you just think about how terrible you are all the time and you have to hate everything about your life. It's this antithesis to loving your life, to self-preservation. Instead of preserving yourself, loving how great I art. Instead, we are captivated by the glory of Christ and we begin to live our lives in that light. We're not even worried about ourselves anymore. We enter into the glory of Jesus, which is to bring glory to God. May he give us grace to see his light. When we hear his words, even now, to come back time and time again and respond with this simple belief. To be confronted in the ways in which we seek our own glory. To turn away. To turn to Christ and his glory. May he give us grace to die to ourselves and to live for him. This is the only way. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to become sons of light by simply believing in Christ. Lord, help us, while it is light, to believe that darkness would not overcome us. Lord, help us to not seek self-preservation, but to seek your glory in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.